the Latin mass. What is it? This is Dive Deep. From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen, along with Amber Servany. You may have seen the news recently. Pope Francis coming out with his Moto Propio, where he discussed uh, restrictions, if you will, on the Latin Mass. That's what it's commonly known. And so you, you may have heard about this, and you've seen a lot of the news in America regarding the Latin Mass and what Pope Francis did. So you might be thinking, what the heck is going on? What is the Latin Mass to begin with? What's 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 this all about? So we decided to bring in Father Trenton Rauch from St. Catherine Drexel Parish here in Springfield. Father Trenton, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Glad, you, glad to be here. You are very welcome. There's two parishes in our diocese that offer the Latin Mass. Uh, we mentioned Father Trenton, St. Catherine Drexel in Springfield, as well as St. Rose in Quincy. And really quick, right out of the gate, um, Bishop Paprocki has said those Latin Masses will continue in our diocese under decree. If you'd like to check that out, dio.org slash worship. That's where you can read Bishop Paprocki's decree. But we thought we'd bring in uh, Father Trenton because your your order, you're from St. John Cantius, uh, your order is unique in that you guys offer the Latin Mass, but you also offer English Mass. You even offer Spanish Mass. Uh, so you got... You got all, all sorts of stuff going on at St. Catherine Drexel. <laughs> at Catherine Drexel, but also in Chicago, as I mentioned earlier, we also offer the ordinary form in Latin. So you have to make a distinction sometimes. Is this the old Latin mass or is this a new mass in Latin? So there's a different flavors, something for everyone. Yeah. And we're going to get into a lot of those definitions because that might be one thing you're thinking about already. Well, I hear about the Latin mass and I hear all these words. We'll get into those definitions. But before we get into that, Father Trenton, take us back, though, on the history of the Latin Mass, because I know for our older listeners, they remember growing up with only going to Mass in Latin. Sure. And then for us who are younger, uh, Vatican II obviously changed that. So take us back. Give us a, a quick history on, on what happened. Sure. The, the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, it has a very, very long history. We, we could say at least 13, 1400 years, the Mass has over time, going all the way back to Pope St. Gregory the Great. Um, what we have today in the traditional Latin Mass is, is essentially what uh, they had in the 7th century, right? Um, over time, uh, there were some slight modifications, but essentially what we have today is, is what they had in the 7th century. And then um, we could say at the Council of Trent, uh, it was more or less fixed. Um, and then leading up into, I guess, the pontificative uh, John uh, the 23rd, Paul the sixth, um, there was a decision because what was taking place uh, in the liturgy, um, they called for more participation of the faithful. They wanted the people in the pews uh, to be more actively or actually participating in the mass as opposed to um, maybe praying the rosary. Not that there's anything wrong with pray, praying the rosary. And, um, but to be able to participate in the Mass, which is the, the highest form of prayer that we have, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And so they called for uh, in, in a reform of the liturgy, basically. Um, how can we get the people more uh, partic you know, actively participating in the Mass? Well, one of the things, one of the changes they made was to provide the Mass in the vernacular. And keeping in mind that and that just means the, the language of that area. Of the, of the local area. In this case, uh, we celebrate Mass in English. And so that's being offered. And that was one of the changes. Um, and so in the old Latin Mass, if someone 
uh, was having a difficult time uh, because not everyone was completely fluent in Latin. Let's offer it in English so we can bring them into the sacrifice a little more richly and offer it more richly to them. So, yeah, it's uh, that was one of the big, I think, big changes. Um, And so that was in the 60s with with Vatican II. And at that point, if you you know, like did Latin mass essentially just kind of fizzle out. And now we've kind of seen over the past decade or two, we've seen obviously St. John Cantius and other uh, fraternity or St. Peter. Uh, we've seen, obviously Latin mass has grown in America. Course, I mean, yeah. we, we are seeing that people are going to going to those parishes more. Yeah. With the, with the introduction of the, of, we'll say the new mass, um, there were still people who were being enriched by the old Latin mass. They had an attachment to it because they were they were able to actively participate or actually participate in the old Latin mass. And so there was still this devotion to the, the old mass. And so when the new mass was introduced, it doesn't, they, they had declared that the old mass was never, they, call, they, they say abrogated. It was never canceled or you would not allow to, you, they did not say you were not allowed to celebrate the mass. In fact, they gave permissions to certain to groups uh, to do that. Um, and so over time, uh, John Paul II enters onto the scene um, more and more people are still interested in the in the old mass, and so he gave more access, a freer access to to the old Latin mass to different groups. One group would be the fraternity of Saint Peter, um, and then of course our group uh, in 1988, uh, we were we were part of that uh, permission by John Paul II to be able to celebrate the the old Latin mass, and um, we we did that alongside the ordinary, the new form of the mass every Sunday. Uh, celebrating both forms so that if someone had an attachment to the old mass, they could participate in that mass. If someone really enjoyed the new mass, they could go to that mass. And so there's options, which is a good thing, right? Right. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So now um, let's get into kind of these words and definitions we, we hear of things. Um, so you mentioned uh, extraordinary form. We hear that word, phrase. What is extraordinary form? Yeah. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth in 2007, he issued a moda proprio. Uh, which basically gave the titles to each of the two masses, the, the traditional Latin mass and the ordinary, or the, the new mass. Uh, he referred to the old mass, the old Latin mass, as the extraordinary form of the, of the Roman rite. So two, two forms, the other form being in the new mass, the ordinary form. So that's just a distinction between the two masses. Okay, and that so was what mass- makes it extraordinary versus ordinary? What is the distinction? Well, um, I think the, 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 the real distinction would be that because he saw that most people were celebrating what would be the new mass, that that's, that's ordinary. That's ordinary to most people today. Um, whereas the old mass, um, it's not as many people are attending that mass. So um, I think that might have been his mind. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but that's that's what I would. So it's not extraordinary because it's better. offering no, something not more, superior or higher <laughs> than the ordinary form of the mass. No, that's not the the idea behind that. No. Okay, novus ordo. Of course, that's uh, translation, simple translation, new order, and so the new order of the mass. When we talk about any mass, you know, what is the order of the mass, and this is the, this is how it's laid out. Well, the new order of the mass is what we all would refer to today as the ordinary form of the mass or the new mass. Okay. So that's yeah. in English for, right. for us here. Correct. Tridentine mass. Tridentine mass. That's the, the old Latin mass, the traditional Latin mass. It takes its name Tridentine from the Council of Trent, where Pius V uh, basically established the traditional Latin mass that we have today as the, 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 the ordinary form of the mass at that time, um, with the exception of those uh, who had uh, a... 
uh, a, a form of the mass that was roughly 200 years old, they could retain that. But otherwise, the Pope desired that the, the Tridentine mass or the traditional Latin mass would be the common form in the Roman Rite. At St. Catherine Drexel, you offer an 8 a.m. low mass and a 10 a.m. high mass. Correct. What are, the, what's, what are those definitions? Very simply, uh, low mass is simply recited. The priest recites the prayers at the altar. And then a high mass would be a sung mass. So you have the priest chanting the prayers at the altar, but at the same time you have a choir or a scola, uh, a school, a, sing, a school uh, of of those singing the, the proper parts of the, the mass and chanting them, Gregorian chant. And, and so, yeah. Okay. And then solemn mass. Solemn mass is just a, uh, a higher uh, form of the high mass. Um, ideally you have a bishop who's celebrating, that would be a pontifical or solemn, solemn mass or pontifical high mass. Um, but a solemn mass is just, uh, it's just a higher form. You have bells and incense and all the things that um, but yeah, with a bishop, ideally. And Bishop Abraki was just recently at Sacred Heart. Of course, yeah. A, few, it was a beautiful little, mass. A little while very happy. So that thankful. was a solemn mass. Of course. All right. Uh, ad Orientum. Ad Orientum. Uh, oh, translation. Ad. I said ad. Yeah. Ad. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> Simply translates as toward the east. Toward the east. Why the east? Because Christ, when he ascended, on he ascended to he went up and ascended to heaven in the east. And so as a faithful, as the people were on a pilgrimage, we're, we're, we're desiring to go to heaven, but yet at the same time, we're still anticipating the return of Christ, right? And just as the angel said, men of Galilee, why are you looking, looking up into the heavens? Christ will come back in the same way he, he departed. So we're always looking to the east for the return of Christ, right? And so the symbolism that we see even in nature, we have the sun, the, the S-U-N sun, rising in the east. Is that not beautiful when you think about Christ returning and, and coming from the east, rising from the east? And so that's why we say ad orientum. When we look at the traditional Latin mass, you walk into a church, you'll see the priest at the altar with what people have said, his back facing, facing me or facing you. Um, but he's actually leading, leading the faithful to the east where Christ is going to be returning. So we're anticipating the bride, the bride of the is the church, right? The bridegroom is Christ. So the bride is anticipating the return of the bridegroom, looking to the east, waiting for him. Um, and then practically speaking, where is Christ in the church? The tabernacle. And so if the tabernacle is in front of me and I'm at the altar and I have the people behind me, I am still, I'm leading people to Christ who is physically, truly, really present in that tabernacle. Well, that is that is very beautiful what you just said. I've never heard the the sun rising and then the S-U-N, you think the son of God, S-O-N. So in a lot of churches, is the altar in the east? Not always. Even St. Peter's in Rome, when uh, it's actually facing the west. They yeah. screwed that one yeah. up. Right. <laughs> you would think they would at least got that one right. But what happens, um, the, the priest or celibate or the pope, he's actually facing the people because he is facing east. Towards the towards Christ, who's going to be returned. So he looks like he's facing the people. So let's model it after the Pope. Well, that's not exactly what's taking place. He's actually facing east. Um, I didn't I didn't explain the ad orientum. That means toward the east, right? And so we could also say ad deum, ad deum, toward God, because that's the direction. It's it's very direction oriented. The celebration of the traditional Latin Mass, and so. Maybe you could talk about, you know, the, the, the position of the priest at the altar. What's he doing? Like, for example, at the gospel, we think about, okay, well, he's going over to the left side of the, 
the altar to read the gospel, um, why is he going to the left? Because if I'm facing east, if I'm celebrating the mass, I'm facing east, and I go to my left, I'm going to end up going north. Well, why would I want to go to the north and proclaim the gospel? Well, because if you look at the prophet Jeremiah, he talks about um, from the north will come forth an evil that will uh, inhabit all of the land, the people and uh, the people. And so we want to proclaim the good news to the north. And so you see the priest move move from one side of the altar to the north. So it's very symbolic in, in what the priest is doing up there at the altar. <laughs> and we're going to get into more symbols. I didn't know that one. See, there, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of richness. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the, the ad orientum because I think, um, and and even Bishop Aprocki has put out in, in our diocese that he's he's encouraging priests if if they want to to celebrate sure, Adorium yeah. they can and I think there's there's some who maybe they almost look at it as potentially disrespectful the the priest has my back to me but the way you just said it about no it's actually me as a priest I'm leading um, I think having having that knowledge I think you know and that's the, I say, that's one big difference between Latin Mass and we'll call it regular English Mass you walk in the priest is back to you so I think that's that's a really that's really important what you just said so people understand well, that. Well, even your English Mass, though, that you do that. Of course. Yes. Um, we, we, we observe that, that orientation in both mm-hmm. both liturgies. And, and I would love to look at all of you in the pews as much as I possibly could, but I would prefer to look at God, <laughs> who is going to be coming from the East. Plus, I have a role where I'm le- and it's helpful, too, as a priest, for me to enter into the Holy Sacrifice if I am completely focused on Christ um, yes, there are moments where I turn to the faithful and, and tell them, let us pray. Um, even in the ordinary form of the Mass, in the Missal, it assumes that the priest is celebrating facing the East because it will say the rubrics, the red part, you do the red and say the black. It'll say, now turn to the people and say, let us pray. Very interesting. Okay, so let's get into some more differences. Uh, obviously, beside the language, beside the ad orientum, what are some other Differences um, going to traditional Latin Mass versus uh, the ordinary form, what we lay people just call English Mass. Right. And I don't think this is so much a distinction between the two Masses. I think it's just that we've got a, gotten away from the altar rail or the communion rail. That's something that you'll see in our church. You may see in some other churches, but I think it's an important part of uh, the celebration of the liturgy because in the traditional Latin Mass, uh, it calls for reception of communion on the tongue in kneeling at the rail, if possible. Uh, Now, what's important about the rail? What is the rail? The rail, the communion rail or the altar rail, it's simply an extension of the altar. So it's like we're bringing the altar to the faithful. So you could call it the people's altar if you want to. I mean, even if you notice, like when you receive communion, that the servers had flipped over a cloth over the rail, where it's mimicking the altar cloth that's on the main altar. So it's, it's actually where... Jesus, the good shepherd, is coming down uh, to feed the sheep. Right? I've always wondered that. Yeah, yeah. when the altar yeah, server flips, flips yeah. that over. That's and it serves a practical, practical purpose, too. You can grab the cloth and hold it so that if, by chance, there, there is a host that's dropped, if the patent does not catch it, which it often, most times does, that you'll have the cloth it can fall onto, and the priest will pick it up and place it back on the tongue. Okay. Oh, that's so, interesting. So in Latin, you receive Jesus on the tongue. Now, when you... When you all celebrate uh, ordinary form in your English, um, you that the communion rail is still at is that St. Patrick's, that Sacred Heart, which is St. Catherine Drexel Parish. Um, you can receive in your hand and at, at those masses. At those masses, the ordinary form of the mass, 
you can receive standing and in the hand if you choose. Um, but in the, the traditional Latin mass, it's on the tongue and kneeling if, if you can kneel. It's just a sign of reverence that we, we, we do that. So, yeah. Okay. Now, one people, some people may want to know, okay, the Latin mass. So are the gospels in English and are the homilies? I mean, am I going to go there and just be like, I'm going to be completely lost? Right. Yeah. No, yeah. The, the gospels are read, uh, both, both readings, the epistle, uh, one of the readings, and then the gospel, they are read in, in Latin at the altar. And then when it comes time, the priest will, after the gospel, he'll descend the altar and come to the ambo and read the readings in English. And then, of course, the homily will be given in English because I'm not fluent in Latin. I can't, at least I can't speak Latin. We're not sitting at the, uh, the rectory every day just saying, <laughs> you know, Dominus Fabiscum. Right. No, it's, it's um, but yeah, they're read in English, the homilies in English. Okay. Any other diff- big differences come to mind? You mentioned uh, communion, uh, obviously the language. Um, anything else come to mind? Yeah, again, orientation is, is important. We've talked about that. Um, there's it, other. Yeah, those are kind of the big three. The big three, I think. Latin, of course, the language itself is is something that really adds to the mystery of what's taking place. And we talked about earlier, when you walk into a church, you want to step out of the world. You want to enter into heaven. And so what Latin does, it's kind of like a veil. It, it covers things that are veiled. They're veiled because they are sacred. And so that's kind of what Latin does. It veils the mystery of the holy sacrifice of the mass. Do you have access to what is being prayed at the altar? Of course, there's what's called the missalette. We talk about the missalettes in the ordinary form of the Mass. There's a missalette for the Latin Mass that has the translations for what's being prayed at the altar. It's called a missal, a Roman missal. It's a hand missal, Sunday missal. Um, those are available, and they help the faithful to enter into and participate, actually participate, in what the priest is praying at the altar. You have the same prayers that he does. And if you, you desire, if you just want to meditate and, and, and pray, you don't have to have a missile, but you can participate in those prayers, and you should, um, via a hand missile. But Latin, it's, it it's adds to the mystery of what's taking place. Yeah, and that's one thing. Um, I think if, if you've never been to a Latin Mass and you're, you're intimidated, but you're intrigued, maybe you want to go, those are just in the back of, you know, in the vestibule. They're little red books, sure. and you yeah. just open them up, and English is on one side, the Latin's on the other, and you do your best to follow along. You know, when I, when I go to a Latin mass, which isn't often, but um, you know, you, I kind of, as Catholics, we all still kind of have a good idea. Even if you go to mass in Mexico or Africa, you just have an idea on where they are in the mass. You can just follow the motions and kind of see where they are. Mm -hmm. But one difference, Father Trenton is when I'm, when I'm in that book and, and reading it, the prayers are different. Like when I'm reading what the priest is saying up there, it is not, it's not like, you go to the English mass and it just happens to be in Latin. So talk, talk a little bit more. There, there are, I feel like you, you talk about there's you bring about the saints more um, the souls in purgatory, I feel like is brought up more. Yeah. Um, and the prayers are just a little, well, they're longer. And you're referring to the red book. Yeah. Okay. The red book is just a, uh, a sample. It's one mass. It's, there are many masses in the Roman Missal. One for St. Mary Magdalene today. That's not going to be in the Red Book. The Red Book has just chosen one Mass and will give them the form of the Mass so they can follow along. Gotcha. Whereas there are particular prayers, we call them propers. There's ordinaries. you got the Kyrie, the, the Gloria, the Alleluia. Well, not the Alleluia, the, um, uh, the, the Gloria, the um, Sanctus, the Agnus Dei. Those are ordinary. Those are done every day, and those are going to be in the Red Book, of course, and they're going to be saint, the same for every Mass. But there are ma- uh, prayers that are proper to this Mass today. Mary Magdalene, she has her own prayers and own gospel and her own epistle. 
Um, we can't fit all those into the little red book for people to have a guide. So the Roman Missal, hand Missal, that will have all the prayers for every Mass throughout the year. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But there are, are you technically, are you saying, or, because it's not a perfect, it's not, it's not like, you, the English mass and you guys just are just up there. Just, it's just a translation. Oh, you, I see. You, you are, there's, there is, you, you are doing a little bit more and saying a little bit more in, in the, the Latin mass compared to the English mass. Are they identical mass uh, prayers for, for uh, mass prayers for the day? No, they're different because in the, in the reform of, you know, we brought, when they brought about the new mass, they added some prayers, they added more readings. Um, they juggled the calendar around. So like maybe today isn't Mary Magdalene in the, the ordinary form, but it is in, in the Latin mass, the extraordinary form. So there is some shuffling. You can't go to one, a, a Latin mass today and an, or, an ordinary, form, ordinary form mass today and have the same exact readings. That's never going to, sometimes it happens, but not always. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So let's get on to some other things. Um, we mentioned the little red book in case if, if you are going, at least helps give you a guide. Uh, any other advice for people who are like, you know, I'm really intrigued by what's going on over there. I've heard about this. What, what, uh, how should I prepare? Sure, what what yeah. should I expect? <laughs> yeah, I, I know some have have said that they feel awkward walking into St. Catherine Drexel <laughs> Parish because they're not used to. I, and, and part of it, I think, has to do with maybe the silence. There's more silence it sometimes. Um, uh, and that's an important thing. We need to enter into. There's a great movie, Enter Into the Great Silence, right? The movie about, I can't remember, Cistercians, religious community. But they're, they're living a life of silence. Silence is where we meet God. We can actually hear God speaking to us. So that's one thing you might notice. Um, if you're going to attend the traditional Latin Mass, I would recommend the very first time to sit there and watch and observe. Don't feel uh, obligated like you have to flip through the red book just to see where the priest is. No, to sit and observe and watch where he goes and, and notice what he's doing and what the servers are doing and um, just the, the natural beauty of the liturgy. Um, and then after you've seen kind of the structure of the mass, maybe pick up the red book, uh, sit in the pew and kind of flip through it and see what you notice in the first mass. But then you'll notice the prayers um, and you'll notice the prayers. They're, they're not in its structure. They're not that different from the ordinary form of the mass. Uh, you've got an introduction. You've got an opening prayer. You've got an, an, a, a, a reading uh, or an epistle in the Latin mass. You have a gospel. You have the creed. You have... Uh, a preface, you have the Santus, the Agnus Dei, all those things are there. It just looks different based on where the priest is in the sanctuary. Uh, the Latin Mass, the priest is spending most of his time at the altar going back and forth. In the ordinary form, he might be over sitting on the chair, we call it the sedalia. He might be uh, at the altar. He'll, you know, it's, it's the same Mass, essentially, um, but just the priest is in a different position. Gotcha. Now, um, Talk about some symbolism. We, we mentioned, uh, well, Amber and I were both kind of our jaws dropped when you said you read the gospel to the left. It's because uh, that's where the gospel or the readings, that's where the bad people were. And you wanted to proclaim that. So that, that was already fascinating. Sure, sure. Um, what other what other symbolism um, can you talk about that when one goes there that even maybe everyday Latin mass goers not, might not even realize what the, the things you do uh, that has really rich symbolism? Well, you, you had mentioned earlier, uh, not here, but the um, the lifting of the chasuble, and it's I think that's 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 an interesting uh, which is aspect. the vestment the vestment that the priest wears um, sometimes well when when the, the vestment itself has um, it can be shaped differently there's two different mainly two different styles one's a Roman and one's Gothic the Roman is what looks like um, 
they call it fiddle back or it's really cut shorter. Um, you'll see as, as the servers before the, the elevation of the host at the consecration, you'll see the servers ascend the steps next to the priest and then lift up the back of the, the chasuble, the garment the priest is wearing. What does that mean? Well, it's actually a very practical thing that, um, that happened in the mass. Back in, in, in the, a long time ago, the vestments were very heavy. And during the elevation, it could be somewhat, not completely, but somewhat restrictive for the priest to lift his, his arms to, to elevate the host. And so the servers would, would assist. They'd lift up the back portion, the bottom of the chasuble a little bit to make it a little easier for the priest. Um, and then, of course, the symbolism. You can always attach any kind of symbolism. Um, there's other, others, I'm sure, that have different ideas. But the one I've heard most often of the lifting of the chasuble, it's, it's, it's the server representing the faithful and the pews, the people just saying, if I could only touch the, the, the hem of his garment, you know, it's that faith being expressed as we're lifting up the chasuble. So going back to the gospels there, of course, of, of the uh, faithful, like the faithful woman, basically just saying, yeah, the like, hemorrhaging woman, yeah. if I could only touch the tassel of his garment, I'll be, I'll be, be healed. healed. Um, now you mentioned the gospel is, is you guys go to the left, which is to the north. Um, really quick years. Uh, there's a second gospel reading. At the Latin at the mass. End, of course. So that's another another difference. What, why why two gospels? Yeah, of course. It's not we don't have the the last we call it the last gospel in the Latin mass. We don't have it in the ordinary form. Um, but at the end of the mass, it's just a way of saying, you know, this is what you've received. Let's give thanks to God. So it's the gospel according to John, um, and the word became flesh. And of course, in the holy sacrifice of the mass, we receive we receive Jesus who has become flesh. Uh, in the form of bread, truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So that's, that's always the same gospel. Always the same gospel. There's ex one exception. I can't remember exactly when it is, but there is one. I think one exception. One okay. Mass, but um, any other symbol symbolism come come to mind? Of uh... yeah. Uh, how about the prayers before mass? Uh, we call prayers at the foot of the altar before the priest actually ascends the altar, the altar steps. Um, if you think about Moses going up uh, the mount, you know we have the burning bush. Uh, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground, Moses. Um, you think about the prophets who would go up and uh, to to mountain. Jesus would always go up a mount to pray. He went up to Mount Calvary to die. And so, mountains are places where man meets God, right? And so the priest, before he enters or ascends Mount Calvary, which was represented by the altar, the holy sacrifice of the mass. Again, it's just it's a representation of Jesus' sacrifice. So we're being taken out of time to that exact moment when Jesus is being crucified on the cross. We don't see it. There's a, a veil. But if that veil was pulled back for just a brief moment at the consecration, we would see Jesus being crucified on the cross. We would see that. It's happening. We're taken out of time to that moment. So that's how we as the faithful participate in that one sacrifice. And so the priest, in such a, an amazing moment, to, be, to prepare himself to go up Calvary and offer this sacrifice, he says some prayers. You know, he says the, the confitior, or I confess to Almighty God. He's saying, forgive me, Lord, judge me, God, forgive me um, for my sins. He's, he's, he's saying some preparatory prayers before he goes up into the holiest of holies, right? The holy sacrifice of the Mass on Calvary. And so he says these prayers before he goes up. Um, and you think of Moses entering into the cloud, uh, that where he met God and received the Ten Commandments, all these great moments in the history of the of of, of man's relationship with God, uh, it's being presented to us right there in the Mass, um, praying, preparing before he goes up to meet God. 
Very fascinating. Now, um, in English, um, the priest says the body of Christ. Yes. What are you saying in Latin? And also, I've I learned. I think the first time I went to mass when 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 I received Jesus on the tongue, I said Amen. But you're actually not technically supposed to say Amen when you go to not, Latin. Not in the Latin mass because the priest will say it for you. And basically, the priest is saying, um, "Behold the body of Christ." May the body of Christ make me, you know, may you receive the body of Christ worthily, something to that extent. Um, but yeah, and the priest will, at the end of that, he'll say, Amen. So, custodia anima meam vitam eternam, Amen. Yeah. And bring you, etern- bring you to eternal life. And so, and he'll say, Amen, and place it on your tongue, and you just walk away. Huh. <laughs> Do women have to be veiled at Latin Mass? No, and that's probably something that's intimidating for a woman walking into a traditional Latin Mass, seeing all these veiled women. Not everyone's veiled. But again, I mentioned veiling, it's, it, it's a sign of, you know, recover things that are sacred. You see the chalice at the altar in the Latin Mass. And if you go to St. Catherine of Rexel, you'll see the chalice veiled in the ordinary form of the Mass as well. Um, the tabernacle, it's veiled. There's a veil over the tabernacle. So we veil things that are sacred. Uh, and we believe as Catholics that the woman is sacred. Just like the man is sacred, but the woman, she she veils herself before the presence of God uh, as a reminder that she is sacred. So you're more sacred than I am. No. I figured. I, I figured. <laughs> Maybe in this context. <laughs> um, now, you know, one thing that that is out there, um, and Pope Francis kind of addressed this with, with what, what he put out, is, is there are some who might think the Latin Mass is superior to the English Mass, or it's a better Mass. Um, that's not the case. And, and of course, yeah. one thing, a reason why you know, we wanted to have you in is because your order celebrates both, both masses. So, so talk us through that. Yeah. Can you imagine if I'm uh, a member of the canons regular of St. John Cantius and I held that the extraordinary form of the mass is in fact extraordinary because it's <laughs> superior to the other mass. No, um, the mass is the mass is the mass. It looks different. Um, it might feel different to some people based on which mass you're attending to, but no, the mass is the mass. You receive Jesus in both. And that's the, that's the focus, right? The holy sacrifice, receiving Jesus, participating in that sacrifice. So, yeah. How difficult was it for you to learn Latin? Um, well, again, <laughs> we talked about this. I was a late vocation. Um, I'm not a particularly, uh, I'm not good with languages. However, we spend quite a bit of time studying Latin uh, before even going to the seminary, seminary cemetery. <laughs> that's, that's partly true, too. Um, but... In our community, we have we take formation in Latin. Then we go to the seminary. There's two years of Latin, so there's plenty of preparation to prepare for the mass. Of course, can you can you speak in Latin at all? Or no, and that's the thing. It's it's we talk about Latin being a dead language, which is a good thing, if it's going to be used as a sacred language for the holy sacrifice, the mass. Think about how much our our vernacular, our English language, uh, has new phrases every single day, like being you know being woke. Right. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> or we just have new phrases coming about every day. Well, the, with the with with Latin being a dead language, it doesn't change. It's always fixed. And so you can know exactly what it's trying to say uh, without any modification. Excellent. Anything yeah. else? Because um, I want to get into your, your vocation because okay. it's a fascinating story. But anything else on Latin mass you think people should know or maybe kind of sum it all up for us, especially if people have that intrepidation? Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Just uh Try it. See, uh, it's it's the mass. And if you have a difficulty or hang up with Latin, there's a missile to help prepare you uh, for, for seeing what's taking place. Um, I would encourage people to go to a high mass where they're going to experience maybe for the first time Gregorian chant. 
Gregorian chant has been kind of put on the shelf when in fact the church has said it, it, sh- it must have pride of place in the sacred liturgy. I mean, you can read that in the church documents. That's not changed. It's just that we kind of got away from it. So that's part of our mission is, is our, our charism. The canons regular of St. John Cantor's our charism is restoration of the sacred. Let's bring out all these treasures from the patrimony of the church things that are, uh, have been given to us by the, some of the holiest saints, Gregor the Great. And that's why we call it Gregorian chant. He has codified uh, this beautiful expression of, of sung uh, scripture, because that's what it is. You're singing sacred texts. Um, so participate maybe in a high mass and just experience the richness of the church's great patrimony. And really quick, one thing I also like, you guys, you, you wear a hat. What is that called? The Beretta. The Beretta. Yeah, and, and you Beretta. wear it in and you wear it out. Of course. And, in, and probably the most important thing about the Beretta, because you don't wear it for very long, maybe a total of 15 seconds if <laughs> that, right? So you walk in, take it off. When you walk out, you put it on, you're gone. Um, the, the most important thing about the Beretta, I think, is the fact that you do take it off because you're showing reverence to the God who is present at every Mass. And you don't want to walk up with your, it's like, I remember going at, at, I went to Indiana university and I went to a conference given by Bob Knight, the great basketball coach. Did he throw any chairs? Not at this, <laughs> not at this conference, but he, there was a young man sitting in the front row and there's, there's obviously women in, in the presence and uh, the whole student body basically present. And Bob Knight noticed this young man with a baseball cap sitting in the front row. And he said, young man, take the cap off. And it was just like, because you're in the presence of others, you're in the presence of women, you're in the presence of, of, you know, Bob Knight, he really, and I don't think that was meant to, to honor him in any way, but you're inside and you're amongst other people, you know, show some respect, take the hat off. And, but anyway, one thing I will, one thing for me personally, why I like it is because, um, venerable father, Augustine Tolton, the main image we have of him, he has that on his head. So for me, it always like reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of Father Tolton, obviously a, a Quincy guy who's on his way to sainthood. And it's cool to kind of see that back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of yeah, that, that old, the old part of, you know, because I mean, I, I do see priests everywhere, everywhere, every once in a while, but yeah. always you guys are wearing it before and after. And that's really the only time we wear it. We don't wear it outside. And that was the, the practical uh, use of the of the hat or beretta was to keep the head warm when it was cold. Churches, again, were, they weren't heated. And so they would wear a hat, a hat and it just became part of the liturgical experience and then taking it off before the presence of God. All right. Now let's get into your vocation because sure. I'm obviously curious how you, you even, you know, why you even wanted to become a St. John Cantius priest. Um, but you're a late vocation. You mentioned you went to Indiana University. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were in sales. Kind of take us back to your past because, oh. you you know, I think there's still some people think um, priests, ah, they wanted to be a priest since they're <laughs> six years old. That's that's all the priests. But yeah. like, no, you have a very interesting story. Of course. Yeah. Um, I went to school, Indiana University. I graduated, was in sales and never, ever, 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 ever did I ever think about the possibility of being a priest, not from <laughs> Uh, grade school through college and working in the world for over 10 years did I ever think about becoming a priest. I had, I guess, somewhat of a reversion because I kind of got away from the faith when I went to college, but came back when I returned uh, from college, went to a couple of retreats, had great experiences and was coming back to the faith and was like a sponge, was taking in the beauty and the richness of the teachings of the church. And I remember sitting in the back of of, uh, the church during mass one Sunday, very last pew, right? Because that's what Catholics do. You don't want to get too close to Jesus who's present on the altar. And there was an older woman 
sitting in the pew right in front of me. And after mass, she just turned around and she said, you're going to be a priest someday. I had not done anything exceptional at mass. In fact, again, I was sitting in the back of the pew. I was the last guy who wanted to even be really up close and in front of, of, of anyone. But you're going to be a priest someday. And to this day, I don't remember seeing her before at that. I'd been going there for many years, seeing her at that church before, or I never saw her after. And it's almost as if after she said that, I was stunned and she was gone. And I couldn't find her anywhere. So could it have been an angel? I don't know. Was it just wow. one of those little old ladies who sit in the back of churches and tell guys they're going to be priests? And that's what <laughs> happens. Anyway. Hold she, on. I, hold on here. <laughs> this is this is an incredible story. All right. Yeah. So I, I got to uh, give me a little more. This is incredible. Okay. So you're sitting in the back of the church mm. praying and uh, maybe you're in your own world. Or, and all of a sudden this lady just like says it and, and doesn't say anything else. Right. So you dropped the bomb. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I was... What, 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 what 30, went through your mind? I was 30 years old at the time. Were you like, right? So that's like, the yeah, last thing a 30-year-old yeah, okay. guy is going to be thinking. I was, yeah. I was a guy of the world. Um, yeah, it, it shot, she planted a seed. Uh, and from that day forward, I could not stop thinking about what she said. And it just kind of kept festering and festering until I was like, okay, Lord, um, I'll go to a retreat, a vocation retreat with the archbishop in Indianapolis. And I met with the, the vocation director and he asked me, we went to lunch. And Did he, you tell him the story? Uh, I'm probably, <laughs> yeah. He's like, what are you doing here? You're 30 years old. Um, and so we sat down for lunch and he, I, he just probably his normal routine. He wants to get to know the guy and see why he feels like he has a vocation. So we sat down and we talked and at the end of the lunch, he's like, you know what? I think you just, you should just settle down, find a nice Catholic girl and get married. <laughs> it's like, oh. okay, I'm not called to be a priest. And he pretty much clarified that for me. So Case closed. Well, not exactly. So probably six months later, uh, this idea just kept coming back to me. Well, I'm not called to be a diocesan priest. What else is there? And so I just got online and started doing research. You know, what kind of priests are there? Well, there's diocesan priests and there's religious priests, those who take vows. And so I started re researching religious orders, found the canons regular of St. John Cantius. Um, why did I particularly focus in on them? Well, um, I wanted to kind of get away from home to a certain extent. I don't want to be too close. I didn't want to be uh, distracted by, you know, things at home. But yet at the same time, I didn't want to be so far away that my, my parents couldn't come and visit, right? I didn't want to be cloistered and then they certainly wouldn't be, I wouldn't be allowed certain uh, visits from mom and dad. Um, so I looked at uh, the, the mission of the Canons Regular. And so the one thing that really piqued my interest was the fact that they celebrated both forms of the mass, the old mass and the new mass. No, so it, were you going to? Yeah, that at this mass? point. Yeah. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I knew that there was a parish in town who celebrated that mass. In fact, I went to mass there one day once I thought, okay, what is this old Latin mass thing? I went there and sat in the back pew again. And my. <laughs> that little old lady, there was a different right, one right. this time. No, it was different. no, there was no lady. It was an old man. In fact, he was a monsignor priest. He was my uh, vice principal from high school. I'm okay. 30 years old. And he comes up to behind me. He's the pastor of the parish. And he's like, he taps me on the shoulder during mass. He's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> so I was like, well, I just want to see what this is all about. And I did. And uh, he actually, uh, he invited me to come sit down with him and go through the hand missile and explain the liturgy, liturgy to me, which was an amazing experience. So thank you, Monsignor Shadle, if you're listening. So Wow. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, so at that point, you've you just, you made the decision, St. John Cantius. And, and then when you're in there, I mean, did you're just, because at this point, okay, you're, 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 uh, 
you're interested in Latin mass, but when you go there, does, does your head just explode? Like this is just so much more than I could have ever. No, ever not knew. at all. Um, because of the, obviously I have people there who can kind of walk me through those questions, answer those questions. And really, again, the Latin, the low mass, especially it's, it's quiet and peaceful and you can pray and think and read through the prayers that the priest is praying. So it was really a new and beautiful experience for me. Not that I was like, oh, I love this better than the old, the new mass or the new mass. You know, no, I, I, I appreciated both. It's again, there's a great history in the church and great patrimony that we can participate in and still bear, you know, get fruit from. Excellent. Now, um, now you've been in Springfield for what? Five a little years? over three years for three, me. Three years. Okay. Our community has been here a little over six, six years. years. Six years. Um, so kind of sum it up. What's it been like down here in Springfield? Obviously I know you were, you were up in Chicago yeah. and uh, not as many sirens. <laughs> um, so that, it's a, a little quieter. Yeah. A little quieter. Um, it's, um, Certainly not the, because St. John Cantius Parish in Chicago, it's well-established, right? We've been there for, since, well, Father Phillips was there in 1988. Our community was founded in 1998. So there's 20-plus years of, of forming the, par- the people of the parish there in Chicago. We're not there yet, but we've seen a tremendous growth uh, here in the last couple of years. Uh, with what we're doing. And it's, it's well, exciting. And, and both St. John Cantus in Chicago and St. Catherine Drexel, you, you, your order essentially took two churches. I mean, especially in Chicago, that was on the verge of closing. I remember. Yes. And it's, it's, you know, doing bonkers. Right. And, and then here in Springfield, St. Catherine Drexel was, it was run by, if I remember some cathedral priests would have mass every once in a while. I remember I went to an Easter Sunday mass there before you guys even came here. Sure. So it was open every once in a while, but now I mean, you offer you offer four masses on Sunday and well, one, on one mass at St. Pat's. That's one mass on Sunday. Nothing during the week, but at Sacred Heart Church, all both churches under the umbrella of St. Catherine Drexel Parish. But Sacred Heart Church is the actual building. Um, we have five masses on Sunday. Yeah, um, wow. including a Spanish mass. So two English, two Latin, and one Spanish. How's your Spanish? Uh, non-existent. I leave that up to Father Kevin okay. and Father Jim, and then any priest who wants to visit and celebrate. Uh, you know, one thing that I, I love you all do, and and we're seeing this more, which I'm so thankful of, is you offer confession before every mass, and I see that a lot in Latin mass communities. Is that is that also something that that's just a part of you? Uh, that that mass that confession is usually always offered before every every mass. I think part of that is the fact that we have. Uh, it's the benefit of being in a religious community, right? We have to live in common. That's part of our constitutions as a religious community to live in common. The benefit there is that we have multiple priests that are available uh, to hear confessions when the people are there. Well, when are the people there? They come to mass. Let's get them. So you have a priest celebrating mass at the altar. You have a priest in the confessional. Uh, and we're we're there. Light's always on. Yeah, I always I always found that as a very powerful, a powerful thing to see uh, when I've been to mass at, at Sacred Heart, where, you know, you have the, the holy sacrifice of the mass and the Eucharist, and then there's, you know, people coming out of confession too. There's, you know, these two powerful sacraments, sacraments happening right. at the same time. Exactly. Uh, well, yeah. excellent. Well, Father Trenton, good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on Dive Thank Deep. you. No, and, it's been uh, fun. And again, if people want to check it out, head on over to St. Catherine Drexel or Sacred Heart Church uh, in Springfield. Again, we mentioned St. Patrick's on Sunday. St. Patrick's uh, for Latin mass though. It's just course, at Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart. Um, and then uh, at Quincy, St. Rosa Lima. Uh, is it Lima or Lima? Lima. 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 Yeah. Lima. Okay. Yeah. I think I was corrected on that. Um, but they have Latin Mass as well. So more podcasts. Uh, head on over to dio.org slash podcast. 
Hope you enjoyed this one. And until next time, we see you right here on Dive Deep.